Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Um, Can we give it up one more time for all those that went public with their faith? You know you baptize a few people when you break out in a sweat. Uh, so I got changed and back, but I, I am so honored that you're here today. It's an honor to, to have you, welcome you here to Bethesda Church. We had been in a series over the last few weeks called Bloodline, and it was you know sort of a deep theological, meaty type series, and I'm going to shift gears and get a little more practical, but I do think that the impact will be just as great. I want to call this new series that we're kicking off today, I want to call this Reputation. Everybody say Reputation. Now, this is not what you think it is, because we all know that um, reputation is how other people view you, right? That, that's, that's a reputation. It's their thoughts or their opinions about you. And I have always believed that if we will focus on our character, God will take care of our reputation, That was a good place to say amen. If we will focus on our character, God will take care of our reputation. Now, with that being said, there is a tendency for us to have a certain view of ourselves. Sometimes it's a negative view. Sometimes it's a positive view. Uh, But what we really want to do is we want to get God's thoughts about us in our heart. So I want to call this message, My True Identity my true identity. Hit your neighbor and tell them real quick, my true identity. Now, you, you may not realize this today, but there is a spiritual war going on over your identity, over who you are. Satan, we know, cannot create anything. He's not a creator. God, God is the one who creates, but Satan does have the ability to pervert, distort, or, or even destroy something that God has created. And so what he likes to do is he likes to take something that God has created, something good, and he likes to pervert it or distort it. Now, we know that Satan cannot hurt God. How many know Satan's not on the same level as God? He cannot hurt God. But one of the things that Satan does in order to get to God is to bring harm to God's kids, it's kind of like, some of you men know what I'm talking about. Mess with me, I, I, you know, whatever. But you mess with my wife and kids, I'm going to turn my hat on round backward. Right? Because it's on. And, and so Satan will many times try to harm God's kids or try to harm God by harming God's kids. It's what he does. And so his ultimate goal is to keep you and I from becoming whom God created us to be. He, he wants you to live in a false identity. He wants you chasing what somebody else is doing, not understanding that even if you get to, to do what they're doing, that wasn't your destiny to begin with. And, and so many times we're missing out on who God has created us to be, chasing things that God never designed. And so we, we want to drive a few points home today. Before I get to that, um, there, are, there are many tools that the enemy uses to 
to take your, your, your mind off your true identity. One of the tools that he uses is the, the opinions of people. That a lot of times we, we fall prey to the opinions of people. And, and so it takes our identity away from us. I heard a preacher say this week, he said, I just live like everybody loves me. And I thought, what a great concept. How mu- Think about this. How much emotional energy do you waste trying to get people to like you that are never going to like you? you? You only have so much in the tank. And so if you spend your time working on your haters, you're going to miss out on your true identity. Some people are not going to like you no matter what you do, all right? And so our true identity comes from God, but Satan will use the opinions of people. He will also use um, pain in your life, hurt in your life. Uh, he, He uses pain and hurt to deceive you and to disguise your true identity. Because if he can get you resentful, if he can get you bitter, if he can get you angry or ashamed, he knows that you will miss your true identity. Satan uses the opinions of others. He uses hurt and pain. He also uses media and the culture. Uh, You know, social media is what it is. It's not going away. It is what it is. But how many know that, that Satan is using it? If for no other reason, he uses it so that we will compare our life with somebody else's life. And so as we scroll through Instagram and Facebook, we think, well, man, I wish I had that kind of talent and, 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 and look how pretty they are and look at their gifts and man, their family looks so put together. And, and we start in this comparison trap where we, we don't come into who God has called us to be because we're trying to be something God never intended for us to be. Satan also will put thoughts in your mind. Check this out. You control your thoughts. Um, One of my first pastors, he always said, he said, you can't control a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep the bird from building a nest in your head. And and so we we have to learn to cast down certain thoughts and certain imaginations. And God gives us thoughts and Satan gives us thoughts. When God gives us thoughts, we call it inspiration. When Satan gives us thoughts, we call it temptation. And and so we gotta be able to distinguish who's speaking to us. And and a lot of that comes through looking at the the filter, through the filter of the word of God. And so Satan wants to do everything in his power to keep you from your true identity, to cause you to miss out on that. He wants you to earn your acceptance instead of just being accepted. And, and, and it, it's this cycle that religion has created for a lot of people that go to church and pray and fast and take care of the poor, and, and they still go home feeling guilty and ashamed because they're trying to earn something that you can't earn. They're, they're trying to get access to something that God has already given you access to. All shame comes from Satan. All shame. It doesn't come from God. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. The number one tool that Satan uses in your life to cause your true identity to be erased is that you start repeating what he told you. 
I'm gonna say it a different way. Sometimes Satan doesn't even have to mess with us because he told us something 15 years ago and we have continued to repeat it. We have come in so much agreement with what he said that that has now become a stronghold. He don't even have to mess with us because we continually repeat the cycles. He plants seeds in our mind and we repeat it over and over. And so what I wanna do is we're gonna go to 1 Peter chapter number two and there are five fingerprint things there that I wanna pull out to help you with your true identity out of 1 Peter chapter two. Now, before I get to that, the word Christian is only used a couple of times in the Bible, the word Christian. When, when it's talking about our relationship with God, it, it's, it's not using the word Christian, it's using the phrase 35 different times, in Christ. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, in Christ. All right, in Christ. There's some cool things that happen when you and I are in Christ. Today, how many of the people that went public with their faith were being baptized into Christ, amen? That's what that's about. So we are now in Christ, and let's look at 1 Peter 2, verses nine and 10, five things that we're gonna pull out of this. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, five things, I'll give them to you up front and then we'll break it down. First thing God says is you are chosen. Hit your neighbor and say you're chosen. All right, very, very important. You are a chosen people. That's what God says. Secondly, he said you are a royal priesthood. Just ask your neighbor real quick, did you know you were a priest? Oh, come on, that's the wrong neighbor. Find a new one. Ask him, did you know you were a priest? All right, the third thing he says, he says you're holy. You're a holy nation. Fourth thing, he says you, you were once not the people of God, but now you are the people of God. And the fifth thing he says, you have received mercy. Now let's break these down. Number one, number one, talking about true identity, I am completely accepted. I am completely accepted. This is vital for us to understand because we all have wounds in our life, things that we've gone through. I like to use the term rejection whether it was rejection from a parent, a sibling, a friend, a boss, a coworker. Um, rejection causes deep wounds in people. And a lot of times if they, if they don't get past the deep wounds, they, they can then project their wounds on, onto any new relationship because they haven't received healing from what they've went through. And so God says to us right, right out the gate today, he says, you have been accepted. Many times the reason we, we miss this is because we're, we're trying, we think acceptance has something to do with our performance or our ability to grab a hold of it. And, and, and when we live like that, it starts influencing every part of our lives. If, if I don't know that I'm accepted in Christ, then I gotta do stuff to impress you because I need your acceptance. I need you to like me. 
And so I'll buy the clothes that I buy, not because I like this shirt. I'll buy the clothes that I buy because I, I want you to like me. I'll buy the car that I buy. I'll live in the house that I, I'll start making decisions every day because I am, I am fighting for something that God has already given me. I'm trying to obtain something that God says the starting place in your relationship with God, the starting place, acceptance. He has accepted you. And this is so good because I, I think back about some of the things I did as a kid to be accepted. How many done something? You, you did something stupid so everybody would like you. I'm the only one that did crazy things for acceptance. We, 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 you can trace your life back. And, 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 and the reason we do things to be accepted is because the pain of not being chosen, it's a great pain. It's hard to overcome when you feel like you were not chosen, you were not picked. It's kind of like the kid on the playground who they're picking teams and maybe you've been in that spot, maybe you haven't, but they're picking teams and you're just hoping and praying you're not the last one picked. Many times, you know how it works. You get to the last guy and you're like, ah, I guess I got him. And that's a certain way it makes you feel. The opposite is also true when you know you've been chosen. When you know you have been hand-selected, hand-picked by God, it's a powerful thing. And so I, I wanna give you some good news today. You don't have to chase after the feeling of acceptance your entire life from other people because God has already accepted you. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, you have been chosen by God himself. That is your true identity. That is your starting place. I'm not working for that. I'm not trying to earn that. I'm not performing to get it. I don't have to preach better to get it. I have been accepted. I have been chosen by God. How I many? It's a good feeling to know that God has chosen you. He has, he has hand-picked you. It's a powerful thing to grab hold of the fact that you have been accepted. Now, how do I know that, that this is true? Well, one reason I know that is true is because God chose me before everything. I got a verse for you. God chose me before everything. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. I want you to let that blow your mind for just a minute that before God created the world, he chose you. Before he worked on anything else, he chose you. Before he created anything else, he chose you. The other reason I know that this is true is not only that he chose me before everything, but Jesus has made me acceptable. Jesus has made me acceptable. Titus chapter three, verse seven. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and he gave us the hope of eternal life. How many can testify today that Jesus has treated you better than you deserve? You've been accepted. You've been accepted. The second thing is, number two, I am, I'm extremely valuable. I'm extremely valuable. We all want to be accepted 
But there, we also want something more than acceptance. We want to know that, that somebody places value on us, that we're valuable to someone. And God says, not only do I accept you, but I have placed value on your life. You are completely accepted, but you're extremely valuable. Whenever we fail to receive acceptance from God, we start putting impossible expectations on people. A lot of the struggles that people have in relationships is that they have put impossible expectations on people. They want people to be what God should be for you. Peter's second description of your true identity, he says, you're holy, you're a holy nation, and you're a people belonging to God. You ought to just circle the word holy and the word belonging out of that verse because both of those words describe value. That's what they mean. It's talking about the value God has placed on you. When we talk about something holy, like the Holy Bible, how many know the, the Word of God's valuable? We can talk about the Holy Land. How many would say that's valuable? We talk about the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. It was a valuable place to go into the presence of God. God says in the New Covenant that you are holy, which means that you are valuable. The first thing that makes something valuable, that, that determines its value, is we just have to ask one question. Who owns it? Who owns it? Because the truth is, something owned by a famous person has more value than something owned by somebody who's not famous. How many know that to be true? Okay, two of you. Something that's owned by a famous person, like I've seen like a famous person's bubble gum that they chewed and spit out. People pay money for that junk. Why? Because of who, who chewed it. Well, I don't care who chewed it. I, ain't, I don't want it, right? I don't want that on my hands. The point I'm making, like, for instance, you, you go to the mall this afternoon. God bless your soul, but you go to the mall, and you go to the shoe store, and you're wanting to buy some new kicks, and you come up to two different pairs of, of, of tennis shoes, and one of them says, the all-new Chad Dinguses. And y'all laughing, I know. I'm laughing too. It's the reason I'm making a point of this. And, and the other, and I'm gonna throw y'all a bone today, I'm not gonna say the all-new LeBrons. And, and the other shoe says, the brand-new Jordans. Now, how many know you're gonna walk out with the Jordans, not the Chad Dinguses, right? My, my shoes would be worth about two cents, but if you put Michael Jordan on it, guess what? It could be 400 bucks because of who owns it, whose name is on it. Did you know that you are owned by Father God? He is your owner. Your owner is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so if we wanna know how valuable something is, all we have to do is ask who owns it? God owns you. God has created you. And so that gives you value. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you are a people holy to the Lord your God, his treasured possession. God says you're his treasured possession. Nothing more important than you. Did you know that when God looks at you, he doesn't go, oh, I created that? What was I thinking when I created him? Or what was I thinking when I created her? 
When God looks at you, he sees his treasured possession. Isaiah 43, four says, God says this, you are precious to me. You are precious. Your parents may not have called you precious, but God does. God says you are precious, you are holy, you are valuable. If you wanna know how valuable something is, if you wanna know how valuable you are, you don't have to look any further than the cross. Think about that. God spared not his own son to show you you're valuable. You see what happens when we get a hold of this and it moves from head knowledge down into our heart, how we, we can go through life with a smile on our face knowing that even if people hate on us, we already love by God. E even if people turn their back on us, even if people betray us, we, we already know I'm accepted, I'm valuable. He didn't even spare Jesus because he thought so much of me. It changes your mindset, it changes your outlook on life. Now, anybody that told you when you were growing up, and I know a lot of people have trauma growing up and they heard things that they were not important and they would never mount up and why don't you act more like your brother or your sister? You hear all that stuff. And, and I just wanna tell you today, you are accepted and valuable to God. And that needs to mean something in your life. Even if you've had negative words spoken over you, hearing that God has accepted you and he places value. The greatest ransom that has ever been paid was when God gave Jesus. He gave it all. He gave everything he had to show you you're accepted and valuable. Number three, I'm eternally loved. I'm eternally loved. And the third thing Peter says about your true identity in 1 Peter 2.10, he said, once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. In other words, once you didn't have much of an identity, you didn't have an identity, but now you have been identified with Christ, with God. And I, I love this because what God is saying, Zeke has this thing, my son Zeke's 10 years old, and he has this thing, if he does something good, like he makes a shot, or his team, like it's really hard to watch the Golden State Warriors with him because he's a big, big fan, and every time they score, he's like, oh, you know, he's beating his chest. And, and so I give it right back to him. And we, we have this little thing that we do and we have a lot of fun with it. But it's almost like God is beating his chest and saying, you may have had people that's been ashamed of you in the past. I'll never be ashamed of you. You, you are mine. You're my beloved. You are precious to me. And, and y'all know, we all got family we ashamed of. Come on, you got some weird uncle somewhere, some crazy aunt. That, that you, you don't talk about them, you don't tell anybody they're your family, but God, said, God sticks out his chest and said, this is my family, this is my beloved, this is my treasured possession. Nobody else has called you precious, but today I call you precious. How many are thankful that God has put his handprint on your life? I'm preaching myself happy. I'm gonna feel better by the end of this. God is not ashamed of his family. Hebrews 2 and 11 says, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. I gotta read that again. Jesus and the one, ones he makes holy have the same father. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Some of y'all don't know this, but when you get to heaven, Jesus is gonna say, what's up, bro? <laughs> hey, sis, you know why? We have the same daddy. Daddy. 
We have the same father. The firstborn of many brothers and sisters was Jesus. We have the same father. That's what the Bible said. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's the kind of love. Man, I would just love for somebody that's been repeating negativity in their own mind for the last 20 years, for there to be a moment in this service today where the light bulb goes off and every negative word curse that's been spoken over you be broken in the name of Jesus and you start receiving what he has said over your life. Even if the voices around you don't change, you got one voice that matters more than any other voice. And it could change in just a moment if you will receive his word over your life. Jeremiah 31 and 3, he says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. There are two characteristics of God's love that I, I, I want you to put this in your heart. I want you to write it down. I don't ever want you to forget these two things about God's love. Number one, it is unconditional. Number two, it's unending. It's unconditional and it's unending. Unconditional. That means not, I love you if you pray. I, I love you if you fast. I love you if you're good today. I love you if you're a nice person. I love you if you feed the poor. No, it's none of that. God says, I love you, period. <laughs> Religious people have a hard time with this one. Because we want to thank God loves us because we went to church, we fasted, we prayed, we gave in the offering. Where y'all at? He loves me more because I do A, B, C, and D. No, you have stepped into performance and religion. I don't do A, B, and C to get God to love me more. Matter of fact, there is nothing I can do in this world to make God love me more. <laughs> nothing I could do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do, don't throw anything, to make him love me less. Did you know people who go to hell, God loves them still? People who choose that? There is nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. His love is unconditional, but his love is also unending. And I love that because I've been, I, I'm 41. I've been around long enough to know that people are fickle. But God is not fickle. Let me say it another way. God is not moody. God does not have bad hair days. God does not wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He, 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 his love is unconditional, but it's also unending. Some of you may have grown up with a dad or mom, and you didn't know if they were going to hug you or slug you. You, you didn't know if they were going to speak life over you or speak death over you. And to all the parents, I want you to grab hold of this. Unstable parents create unstable children. Good preaching, pastor. You're doing it. God says, my love for you is consistent. Aren't you glad it's not up today and down tomorrow, his love? You never need to ask God, are you gonna love me today? Are you, are, God, do, do you still love me? Did, did I do enough today for you to, to love me? You don't have to do that with God. He says, I love you, period. I can't make him stop loving me. 
Even if I choose the wrong things for the rest of my life, it won't be because he didn't love me. It's, it's decisions I'm, I'm making on my own. His love is, is constant, it's consistent. And it's not based on you, it's based on him. It's who he is. Number four, I am totally forgiven. I want you to tell somebody that today. Tell them I'm totally forgiven. Y'all are not real bold about that one. First Peter 2.10, at one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. God's mercy has given us forgiveness. And God's forgiveness, this is so important, it's not partial, it's total. God does not partially forgive. The reason we struggle with that is because we do partially forgive. Like even the people who are good at the whole forgiveness thing, like they can let stuff go. A lot of times it's not even that they've forgiven the person that wronged them. What they do is they file that thing away and they reserve judgment for a later date. So that if they mess up again, they can pull their little box out and say, you remember when you did this? How many know when you go to God today and ask for his mercy and his grace, he doesn't bring up your yesterday? Well, you're back again. That's a pretty big load I forgave yesterday. And now you're back and you need forgiveness again. God doesn't bring up our past. Watch this. God erases it. <laughs> He erases it. He wipes it out. And what I love about it is Jesus paid the price and he died for my sin so that I didn't have to die for my sin. I didn't have to pay the price that he paid. You have to understand, and that's why I, I talked to you for three weeks about bloodline and, and about the wrath that was poured out on the cross because every place that Jesus shed his blood. When you think about that, you, you have to understand that was God's punishment for sin being taken out on his own son. Jesus was punished so that I don't have to be. And a lot of us, the punishment is, is our own thinking because we get in cycles of shame and guilt and condemnation. And, and man, it's crazy that people can come to church for 30 years and they really do love God and they really do love people, but in their own mind, they're depressed, they're, they're filled with anxiety, and it's all attached to condemnation and guilt and shame that God has already dealt with. If I could get you to get anything, is that you are now in Christ, the righteousness of God in him, and it's not because of what you've done, it's because of what Jesus Jesus has already done, that I have been accepted. I am the beloved of him. I am his treasured possession. And, and we, we've, got, we've got to get it in our mind. We've got to get it in our heart. See, a lot of us, we're, we're so in the mode of, of being ashamed and guilty. We even think that God is trying to get us back. Like, we're driving down the road and we hit a traffic jam. And then we're like, yep, God's getting me back. Go to Taco Bell, we order our taco, and they give us a taco with no meat in it. Yep, God's getting me back. How many know if God was going to get you back, you'd be gone? 
God is not trying to get you back. Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So it's not about Jesus coming to condemn us. He came to save us and to restore right relationship with God. Now, how do I know that I'm totally forgiven, Pastor? Two reasons. It's in God's nature to forgive. That's who he is. God's not trying to forgive. It's in his nature. It's who he is. Isaiah 43, 25, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. I'm not forgiving you because you came to church six weeks in a row. All right, now you're forgiven. You're good. He said, I'm doing this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. It's in his nature. The, The second reason I know that I've been forgiven is because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the price for it. Ephesians 1, 7, for by the blood of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. I'm forgiven not based on my performance or what, I, what I've done. I'm forgiven based on what Jesus did for me. So powerful. How many are thankful for the grace of God in your life? Are you thankful for it? I got... I got, y'all give me the last point, number five. All right, worship team, if you guys would come back. Number five, here it is. All this is 1 Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10. I am fully capable. I'm fully capable. I'm totally accepted. I'm extremely valued. I'm eternally loved. I'm completely forgiven. And the fifth thing, I am fully capable. 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are royal priests chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a priest. The reason I don't have to go and confess my sins to a priest is because I am one. Hit your neighbor and tell them, you a priest. All right, now, now watch this, watch this. Tell them, start acting like one. Now, I don't mean for you to come up in here next Sunday and you got a collar up to here. That's not what a priest... <laughs> Some of y'all come up at church next week in a robe. He said, I'm a priest. I'm not talking about what you wear. I care. Y'all know me by now, I can care less what you wear. Just cover it up. That's all we ask. Just cover it up. It's not that deep. A priest does two things, guys. He represents God to man, and he represents man to God. That's the role of a priest. When you look at this and you study it out, God is saying you are fully capable to do, watch this, because a priest has a calling. There's a calling there, twofold, representing God to man, man to God. God is saying you are fully capable. I don't know who this is for, but it's gonna hit home for somebody that's got big dreams and a big calling. God is saying you are fully capable to fulfill, the word is vocation or calling that I have put 
on your life. God is saying, don't give me excuses because I've already told you you're accepted and valuable. You're eternally loved. You're forgiven. But I also want you to know as a priest, you are fully capable of fulfilling your calling. Did you know everything you need to fulfill the call and the purpose of God for your life, it's not gonna come because you went to another class or another conference or another seminar. You need to know that everything you need to do what God has called you to do, He's already put it on the inside of you. He's already deposited that thing on the inside of you. And you gotta tap in to what He has put in you. It's not out here, baby. It's in here Christ in me the hope of glory come on somebody if you believe that today you've got a praise in the house man I feel this thing strong man strong man we're chasing everybody's saying we're chasing acceptance and we're chasing for people to like us and embrace us and put value on us. But you, what, what we're missing is that the king of the universe has already said you're accepted and valuable. And I've already put a calling and it's not out here. It's on the inside of you. I've put it in you. You are a royal priesthood. You're valuable. Most of our life is spent uncovering what God had already put in us. I'm 41 years old and I'm still every day uncovering what God put on the inside of me before I ever got here. We think it's coming from outside sources or the next class or the next book we read. And, and you need to go to classes and conferences and read books. You got to better yourself. But I'm telling you, the, the thing, the, the seed of God's word, the calling that he's playing, it's already in you. You are a royal priesthood. And as a priest, Acts 26 and 18, you are to open their eyes. God did this for you. You're gonna do this for others. You are to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that through their faith in me, talking about Jesus, they will have their sins forgiven and also like you, receive their place among God's chosen People. Man, this just hit me just as I was saying it. You discovering who you are in Christ and your true identity actually unlocks other people to come out of darkness. I, that just hit me. It unlocks, it opens a door for others to experience what you've experienced. Come on, give him the best praise you have all day. Come on, church. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're in this place and you're not in relationship with Jesus, man, I sense the Holy Spirit. I could run a lap, I may do it. But I sense God's presence in this place. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I need Him to forgive me. I need His grace. I need to be forgiven. I want to ask Him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want it to be personal to me. If that's you, thank you for the three people online. God bless you. If you're in-house, in-house, if that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, I need Jesus to forgive me today. 
I, I need his grace. Thank you for that hand. God, thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand and 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 that hand. Awesome. And that hand, that hand, that hand. God saw it. That hand and that hand and that hand. Oh, I wish somebody would praise God. I don't know how many hands that was, but somebody needs to praise God. Anyone else? You say, that's me. That's me. I need Jesus today. Anyone else? Come on, every voice lifted. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, into my life. I know now that I'm accepted, that I'm valuable, that I'm forgiven, that I'm loved, and I'm called. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody give God a praise. Come on. What an awesome God we serve. If you made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we just want to say we are so proud of that decision. So proud of that decision that you just made. It's going to be a life-changing decision for you. I believe it's going to not only impact you, but everybody you are connected to. Amen. Are you glad that you came to church today? Amen. I'm glad you came today. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff to please come forward to get in place. We end every service with one worship song, and we open up the altars for people to receive prayer. And so you may be here with a heavy heart. You may have received a diagnosis that, that from a doctor this week that was not good, uh, a report that was not good. You, you may have family issues going on. Listen, we all have issues. So if you need prayer, don't, don't think, well, I, you know, they don't have time for me and you know, it's not that big a deal. We want to put our faith with your faith and just believe that God's going to move. So I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff to come get in place. As we sing this song, please come and receive prayer. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.